everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ichabod's House. I'm Andy here with my lovely sister, Jen. Hey there. And we are here with the first episode in a non-disclosed episode amount of the Enfield Poltergeist tapes. We're going to go true crime on this one. I know you and I didn't discuss this, so surprise. I love it. I'm I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. Um, so uh, this one is called the Enfield Poltergeist tapes. Poltergeists don't share beds, Jen. They just don't do it. They don't. Kick I mean, maybe out. if it was a succubus type, they might, but that's, <laughs> that's not what we're dealing with here. So um, anyway, this is going to be good fun because, you know, I love a good possession story. Um, and we'll have a lot of fun, I think, bullshitting and legitting this. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So we'll get into that in a little bit. I don't think we have any Google and beyond from last time. Well, it's been a year since we last recorded, so I don't have any idea. <laughs> Jen and I have been a little busy. We're very sorry. If we, you know, I was wondering how the um, last podcast on the left guys do it, or the ghost story guys, or and then I thought they're all guys. Not to not to diss anybody out there, but female. We just have a lot of family responsibilities and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So. Um, uh, there's this one TikTok that's going around. I don't, I don't know if you watch TikTok a lot, but this <laughs> comedian says um, he gets a call from the school, and the school says, "Do you know what bus number your child <clears throat> has?" And he goes, "Do you know who you called? I'm the dad. Like if you wanted an answer, you should have called the mom. Why are you calling the dad? Have you not been around for the last few millennia? You don't call the dad if you want to know specifics on your child." <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yep. So, um, okay. So anyway, we have a planner contest update. You want to go ahead with that? Yeah. So all our planners have been won and delivered. And I just want to give a shout out uh, with names. Uh, Jeremy Bird, Shelly Lawson, Dean Klingman, Eric Venator, Venator. I don't know, Eric, how to say your last name. I apologize. And Laura Holt. Uh, so yes, I, I also want to give a shout out, uh, to Dennis Murphy and let you guys know about an awesome podcast that he has just dropped called something strange, uh, catch the episode of telephone to the dead. If you get a chance, he tells a really good story. Uh, he's got a great voice for this and, if you want to hear what a real, legit Irish accent sounds like, <laughs> I would recommend <laughs> settling in and listening to Dennis because he has a beautiful voice and he never once says har to tar to tar uh, as Andy and I do. So anyway, I can't wait. I'm totally going to listen. Yes, he's good. He's really good. Love it. Well, awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, now we're going to get to Ichabod's nose. What do you have? So I watched an awesome documentary yesterday called Battle of the Beasts, Bigfoot versus the Yeti. And yeah, that's right. You texted me about that. I want to, yeah. Wh- how was it? Uh, it's good. They break it down. Strength, endurance, uh, intelligence. And they kind of go through the whole thing. And I'm not going to say any more about it because I don't want to spoil it. So check it out if you get a chance. What's it on? Uh, I think I, we watched it on Disney Plus through like Discovery or Nash, Nat Geo because National Geographic. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Streaming. Listen, we're, we're not as hip. Some of us aren't as hip as you, Nat Geo. <laughs> um, but it's called Battle of the Beasts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, that's me. I'm up next. Um, I am watching or did watch, um, have watched a couple of episodes of um, I Am a Stalker, Oh, which is really good. That's on Netflix. Okay. That is a documentary type. Uh, they talk to real people who have stalked both. They talk with both the actual stalkers and the victims. And boy, you get a, 
a real sense of um, what they are thinking, which is that they, they, I mean, they are completely in their own mind and delusional and it's really scary. Um, but it's really good if you like that kind of stuff. Are the stalkers like rehabilitated or when they are on this, are they being interviewed from prison? Yes, How's being interviewed from prison. Um, one of them okay. did get out and he still has it in his head that he could get to back together with the mother of his child. Um, he has visit visitation with his son and, um, you know, hopefully they can just come to, you know, have a, a, a healthy relationship as friends for the sake of their child. And hopefully he doesn't get delusional and, you know, want to hurt a, I mean, that's what he wants is for them to all be together. So that's a little, that's a little scary. I was a little scared for her when I saw the end of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. And then the second one that I started watching is called cabinet of curiosities. It's on Netflix. There is a podcast by Aaron Menke, which I'm sure, again, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know all about Aaron Menke's shows, um, Lore, and then he has one also called Cabinet of Curiosities. And I thought maybe it was um, connected, I thought because they did a show of, of his Lore podcast on Amazon. There's two seasons on Amazon. Have you watched those? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, so I, then I thought maybe Netflix was doing this with this other one, but it's by Guillermo del Toro. And so I don't think they're connected, but anyway, it's really good. It's really good. And there's a lot of stars in right. that. Like Tim Blake. What is his last name? Tim Blake. Oh my God. Why am I? Anyway, there's a famous guy named Tim Blake something. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm just leaving you hanging because I have no idea who he even is. You'd know him if you saw him. I'm just going to sit here and I'm kind of going, what? what's out my window? Just, you would totally him. know him if you saw him. Um, uh, it's a good show. I'm Googling it right. Tim Blake Nelson. That's it. Tim Blake Nelson. Um, and uh, anyway, it's it's just a really good show if you like the spooky stuff. So that's what I'm watching right now. I have actually watched a few episodes of that too. So very good stuff. Yeah. Love it. Um, okay. So do we have any ask Ichabod? No ask Ichabod. Nobody has any relationship questions for Ichabod. So uh, we're just going to move along. Maybe we need a better picture so. of him. Maybe some better lighting or something. Maybe he looks a little too spooky mm. with the nails coming out of his skull. Maybe so. I don't know. But that's, you know, that's how he looks. Okay. And he could hear you talking right now, so I'd be quiet. Oh my gosh! You know, you know the whole thing with you're not supposed to talk about fairies. Mm -hmm. uh, we read a story in literacy class on Friday about fairies. About poop my pants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you don't talk about. Them. I know, so we won't talk about them. Okay, so I think we're ready to dive right in. So whenever you're ready. Well. It has been a little while since we've had a good possession story. So Andy thought she'd just surprise me and you with one right before Halloween. If you are a fan of this podcast, there's a good chance you've seen the Conjuring movies. This episode looks at the Enfield poltergeist, which was depicted in The Conjuring 2. We will look at what actually happened, what happened in the movie, and of course, what we think is legit or bullshit. We will also do our best to bring you an accent, sample platter, and legit imitations of 12-year-old girls speaking as grumpy old men. It's going to be a good time. It is. I'm really excited. We're going to take a moment right now, however, to cite our sources for today's episode. We use the book, The Enfield Poltergeist Tapes by Dr. Melvin Willen. The websites historyvershollywood.com, theconjuringuniverse.fandom.com, and the radio series The Reunion with Kirsty Wark on BBC Radio 4. Also, the book The Demonologist by Gerald Brittle. Now, let's jump right in by getting to know those involved. First, let's meet the family. There's Peggy Hodgson. 
Peggy, by this time in 1977, had been divorced from Mr. Hodgson for about three years. She was raising their four children by herself with no support from Mr. Hodgson. You wanker. There is mention in the book by Dr. Willen that Mr. Hodgson suffered from partial paralysis and had some mental issues of some sort. He's still a wanker. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot on him. Peggy works full time and does her best to keep her children fed and clean, which they were at this time. The house, however, was reportedly in disrepair. The oldest child is Margaret, and at 13 years old, she was right around poltergeist attraction age. Dr. Willen's book states that, quote, Margaret appears to be quite a normal child, but inclined to be over-emotional. Of a 13-year-old girl, get out. I don't believe it. Shut up. Right? She cries very easily. She goes to special classes as she has been rather backward in her schoolwork, end quote. I think that that would probably mean that she was somewhat dyslexic. I would say yes. That's what I took that to mean. The second child is Janet. She was 11 years old at this time. Dr. Willen's book states that she, quote, appears to be a reasonably bright child, but rather excitable with a strong imagination. She went to a new school at the beginning of September and showed a great deal of apprehension in having to start. She took a couple of weeks to settle down, but considering all of the disturbances, she has settled in very well. The girl ap appears to be the epicenter, end quote. Johnny, the 10-year-old boy, went to a boarding school and was only there for a day when the investigators were there. Dr. Willen's book states that Johnny was a mentally disturbed child, so we are assuming the school he went to was a special education school. The youngest child is Billy, and he was seven years old at the time of the poltergeist. It is reported that Billy is a normally intelligent child. However, he did have a speech impediment. He'd run his words together and could be very hard to understand. He did receive speech therapy for this. The house they lived in was what was called a council house. I wasn't sure what a council house was, so I Google and beyond it, Jen. Nice. Historically, council housing is public housing that is rented to households who are unable to afford to rent from the private sector or buy their own home. It has been called council housing due to the role of district and borough councils managing the housing. Okay. According to our sources, there doesn't appear to be any unusual deaths that took place in the house. Nothing violent or suspicious. However... Some of the curtains and furniture in the house came from a house where a father murdered his four-year-old daughter. Mr. Hodgson knew this man and was friendly with him. When the man committed suicide, Mr. Hodgson brought those things into the home. Um, so he kind of just said, hey, dead guy, free curtains. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was also a budgeriger. Bujurigar, Bujurigar, and a goldfish. Budger, what the hell is that? I don't know. I was, I'm thinking maybe a dog or a rat. I don't know. I need to look it up, but I really wanted you to say that word. <laughs> it says that he brought the bird into the home after the owner oh, died. So, it's a bird. so I'm guessing maybe it's so. It's a bird. Yeah, it's a bird. It's a dog. It's a bird. Dog. A dog. Bird. <laughs> Okay, so he there was also this bird, which I'm assuming is some sort of bird in a cage, and a goldfish in the house. Mr. Hodgson brought the bird into the home after its owner died. It should be noted that the phenomena did start shortly after the demon bird, which no one can pronounce, was brought into the home. I wonder if he fed the goldfish to the bird. Well, I don't know why you wouldn't. I'm just saying it was there. And then there's no mention it was there and then it's not. So I don't know. Well, okay. So there are some people, relations of the family and neighbors that we need to introduce. Mr. John Burcombe and his wife, Sylvie. 
John is Peggy Hodgson's brother. He is deputy head porter at the hospital, and she is a housewife. She has a bit of a nervous disposition, but she is alert. So apparently she's not a comatose person. This is Sylvie. Yes. Yes. Um, She's not a comatose nervous person. Okay. Yeah, so whatever that means. They have two kids, whatever. Paul and Denise, aged 12 and 15, respectively. So then we're going to also mention the next door neighbors, Mr. Nottingham, who was about 40 at this time. He was well built and helpful with a good disposition. His wife, Peggy Nottingham, oh, another Peggy, uh-huh. was 38. She was a strong dominant type, extremely helpful, highly critical, and a skeptical witness. Their son, Gary, late teens, was a well-built, healthy-looking individual. There was also Mr. Richardson, who was Mrs. Nottingham's father. He was living with them and was 72 years old. I found it interesting that they talked about Mr. Nottingham and his son, Gary, being both being well-built, healthy specimens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not what they said, but you know what I mean? I just thought that was very interesting. That is very interesting. I agree. The first disturbance took place on August 31st, 1977. The Hodgson family heard knocking sounds. Of course, that's how it always starts is with knocking. It always starts that way. And a heavy mm-hmm. chest of drawers moved on its own across the floor. The family notified the next door neighbors, but they couldn't find anything to explain the noises or the dresser moving. They called the police. The two police officers arrived, WPC Heaps and her colleague. Both witnessed, along with the family and neighbors, a chair levitating about a half inch off the floor and also moving several feet across the floor by itself. The police decided to leave, citing that it wasn't a police matter because no laws were being broken. They did, however, report the matter. But basically, deuces were out (laughs) on your own, cats. Right. So that uh, chair is indeed levitating and moving across the floor, but we're not going to do fuck all about that because that chair is not breaking any sort of law. So we're going to fuck off and leave now. Nice evening to you. To which I'm sure Peggy Hodgson probably called them all twats. You dirty twats! Yeah. No one likes you. Okay, so over the next several days, the family experienced flying marbles and Legos from an unknown source. Listen, I have raised three children. And at any given time, marbles, Legos, Bionicles, Fisher-Price toys... Matchbox cars, gargoyles, gargoyles, pencils, crayons, anything could be flying randomly at any point in time. I'm just saying we, I was also raised in a house with a brother. So ah, I'm not, I can't totally legit that one at this point in time. So anyway, since calling the police is not an option when your child is throwing marbles or Legos, or if a poltergeist is, Mrs. Nottingham from next door called the Daily Mirror because if the police can't help you, then you call the news. 100%. You tell on, you tell on people. <laughs> you tell on what's happening. On September 5th, reporter Douglas Bentz and photographer Graham Morris showed up. More reporters and photographers followed once the story got out. The media was impressed by the family's genuineness, especially because they witnessed some of the phenomena themselves. Right. But now it was suggested that our old friends, the SPR, be called in. And we remember them from the Doddleston messages. Mm hmm. Um, it's the Society for Psychical Research. A successful inventor named Maurice Gross was also called in. He had joined the SPR after his daughter died in a motorbike accident. He wanted to know if he could actually reach her beyond the veil. He was interested in doing investigative work and happened to live in London, which made traveling to Enfield doable. 
Mr. Gross experienced what he thought to be poltergeist phenomena at the Enfield house and decided he should bring in some help on this investigation. A few days later, Guy Lyon Playfair, an author and experienced investigator, joined him. Mr. Playfair and Mr. Gross spent many, many hours in the Hodgson house investigating and recording the happenings there. The first recorded session was on September 19, 1977. This first one only yielded normal household creaks and miscellaneous noises. The really good stuff started to happen on September 21st. The sound of a chest of drawers turning over seemingly by themselves and movement of other furniture and a pillow from the bed. These latter accounts were taken from the verbal eyewitness accounts from Mrs. Hodgson and her brother, John Burcombe. That October brought a lot of recording testimonies and phenomena. These mostly happened after 9 p.m. and sometimes well into the early, well into the night or early morning. Mrs. Nottingham discovered an unexplained pool of water, a bathroom light swinging, and the movement of a toilet brush and the toilet flushing on its own. I just let that one go. I'm going to say clean in the toilet. Good for you. Better than the uh, mm-hmm. the Doddleston messages, poltergeist, who wouldn't pick up anything. And again, if the pool of water was in the bathroom and there's boys in the house, I'm calling pee. I'm saying pee uh, or leaky toilet. But if there's boys in the house, a water fight. I'm, I'm saying pee. Mm-hmm. It's pee. Come on. I raised boys. That they can pee. They sometimes they'd try, they'd stand in the tub, try and pee in the toilet from there. Get to the door, try and hit the toilet from there. Did I ever tell you what Ian and Alex told me after they moved out? Of, after they you know graduated and moved out, no. that they would go into the bathroom together and use their pee streams as lightsaber streams and fight each other while peeing in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Never know. Never know. Yep. It's a good time. Just saying. Mr. Gross had instructed Mrs. Hodgson to keep a diary of the happenings. She noted noises being heard, such as objects falling over, a drawer opening by itself, and on several occasions, a bedroom lamp being thrown. She also felt as if there was something like a cat lying on her when she was in bed. She also would complain of headaches right before the activity started. She suggested that mice could be responsible for some of the activity, but certainly not all of it. Yeah, nice. Gross. Mr. Gross witnessed a slipper flying through the air, which he felt was impossible to have been thrown by anyone present. And he also heard the collapse of a camp bed, which apparently someone was lying in at the time. Both Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair were worried about their tape recorders being tampered with, but both Janet and Margaret strenuously denied any involvement. And as we all know, children never lie, ever. And little Billy was present for a lot of what was happening, and he was worried about it, of course. The girls would scream every time after something was thrown or moved or levitated. This happened a lot, enough to make anyone and everyone on itch. On October 3rd, a meeting was held to discuss Janet and her transition to that new school. Those in attendance were the headmaster, members of the local authority, Mrs. Hodgson, and Mr. Gross. They discussed how Janet was so tired at times that she had to sleep in the school medical room, which I'm assuming is the same thing that we would call the nurse's office. Janet was showing such an abnormal amount of stress at starting a new school that it was suggested that she should take a holiday for a week. But I'm wondering also who members of the local authority is. Is that like people who, um, like uh, who, kids who are transient or um, school skippers? Like the school like board playing, something? I don't know. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting, the local authorities. Surely when wouldn't bring in the police. No, Um, that is interesting. The phenomena of flying toys and moving furniture continued all through October. 
these are some of the things that happened. Furniture turning over, drawers opening on their own, and that goddamn camp bed collapsing. Bedroom objects flying over, including a lamp and slippers several times. Kitchen objects moving, crockery, a teapot, and a washing basket, and cream crackers jumping. Jumping, holy jumping crackers, Batman. This house is haunted. Bathroom objects moving, a toothbrush, beaker, toilet brush. What the hell is a beaker doing in a bathroom? I think of a science beaker. Maybe they mean know. like it's a water cup or something. I don't know. An unaccounted for and unaccounted for quantities of water appearing appear on the floor. Urine. Unaccounted knockings, wrappings, bangings, etc. The appearances of shadowy figures and what looked like an old lady at the window. A doll's house roof split, a jigsaw puzzle that shot off the top of a cupboard. And finally, crying, whimpering, and whispering sounds were also heard. Sounds like a, a standard day at my house. No kidding. I, I mean, yeah. I, I A lot of this, I, I think the things, you know, when I look out my window at night, I see an old lady's reflection in there. Um, and... <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it's really scary. I also see that that bitch when I look in the mirror sometimes, and I'm like, "Holy Jesus, what the hag into the house!" But I will say, if you've got four kids or four people and two SPR people in the house, there's going to be noises that the tape recorder picks up. So I don't know if they were doing dedicated sessions or whatever for this, but. Seems a little interesting. They did do some dedicated sessions, but I don't know, you know, maybe they did leave it on in in certain, at certain times. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. Over the month of October, when all of this was taking place. So this is what we're talking about, people. One can easily see how certain noises and disorganization can occur as you are witnessing firsthand as we're recording this podcast. Neither of us really knows what the hell is going on. I was like, where is she going with this? That's not, that's not the script. Stick to the script, lady. No, I'm kidding. This is how we get disorganized. It's <laughs> compopulated. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to read something now. Um, Over the month of October, when all of this was taking place, Mr. Gross interviewed everyone who was present, especially the girls, Margaret and Janet. He was occasionally suspicious of them. Janet could be heard giggling right before some of the phenomena took place. He also would complain about Janet sliding out of bed and that her hand could be seen just before a slipper went flying. (laughs) Now, I will say playing devil's advocate here that when I was a kid, I would laugh and giggle every time I got in trouble because I was nervous. So if a poltergeist was trying to do something to me or throw something at me, I might've just started giggling. I don't know. So I'm just saying that's a possible thing. That's a possible thing. I would be more scared if a I would giggle right before I did something, and she's giggling right before the phenomenon happens. But I can remember Dad lecturing us, or when we were in really big trouble for something, sitting and and we'd have to stand in front of him while he's talking, and the urge to laugh was almost overwhelming. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can remember that mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. Like, don't laugh, you're going to get it even worse. But there, there's something about being in that much trouble that makes you just want to go, oh, shit, shit just got real. <laughs> um, but if it wasn't, if it wasn't our parents, if I like got in trouble at school or let's say um, something terrifying was happening at, at home, I would not laugh. I would have that horrible heart dropping to the pit of my stomach feeling. Um, so yeah, probably I don't know. Same. You're probably right. I mean, I don't know. Okay. So let's just look jitter bullshit. 
this for a second. What do you think? Are the girls responsible for everything or are they just playing pranks that coincide with the phenomena? Or are they part of responsible for some of it? All of it? What do you think? Well, clearly there's some behavior issues in the family. There's a huge disruption in the family. Uh, the girls are certainly prime age for poltergeist activity. So I'm, I'm sure there could be things like maybe a, um, a cup flying off a counter or, you know, uh, but I, I certainly don't think that all of it is poltergeist activity. I think that these kids are clearly, it's a dysfunctional family, right? And I don't mean any disrespect by that. Their dad bailed. Mom is doing the best she can. They are probably having to scrape for everything they've got. They've got a kid who's in an institution of some sort. Um, they've got uh, a little kid with a speech impediment. They've got Janet who's clearly stressed in the, to such an extent that the school's like, this kid needs to stay home for a while. And they've got Margaret who's in special education classes. So there's a lot... And they've got people peeing all over the floor. So there's a lot of stress <laughs> going on. flying everywhere. There's pee. <laughs> it's pandemonium. Lemons, marbles, urine. Uh, so there is a lot going on for sure. I know, I know that this, so the, the inclination is to say, well, it has to be legit because it receives such wide acclaim from the SPR and the press. However, I will say that the cops obviously witnessed something. Yes. Yes. That's what I was going to say. We have one thing, but even the SPR guy they sent has a conflict of interest, right? He is going there with the expectation that he's going to find something with the deep desire to contact his daughter who was killed. So I don't know that we have an unbiased observer in him. So I'm going to say, one thing legit, the rest of it I'm saying bullshit. The chair moving, I say legit. The rest of it I'm saying bullshit for right now. Your I turn. agree with you. That, nope, that's exactly, that was very a very astute assessment of the situation. And I concur 100%. I'm completely on the same page with you. I do think that something happened because a, a, a person of, you know, um, who's reliable and valid, right, the cop, saw mm -hmm. it. And and did report it, and mm -hmm. also <laughs> said I'm not helping you. <laughs> this clearly is too much for me to handle, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna go right up. I'm gonna write, go write that up in a report, and I'll see you later. Thanks for calling. <laughs> not a criminal chair, so I'm out of here. <laughs> so um, that part I, I agree. I think that there is something going on, but to what extent we don't we don't really know yet. So all right, cool. Okay. So we're both on the same page with that. Okay, so because of everything that was happening and the suspicion on the girls, Gross wanted to try to communicate with whatever was causing the knockings. He tried question and answer sessions via tapping, kind of like the Fox sisters. A communicator did come forth as a result of this, and it referred to herself as Mrs. Haylock. Mm -hmm. John Bercombe and Gross tried to get the actual source of the knocking to no avail. The entity did, however, say she was looking for a glass ashtray. <laughs> okay, so because of, of everything that was happening and the suspicion on the girls, Gross wanted to try to communicate with whatever was causing the knockings. He tried question and answer sessions via tapping, kind of like the Fox sisters. A communicator did come forth as a result of this, and it referred to herself as Mrs. Haylock. John Burkham and Gross tried to get to the actual source of the knocking to no avail. The entity did, however, say she was looking for a glass ashtray. <laughs> so there you have it. And my pack of luckies. Where are those? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Excuse me. The rappings would sometimes go from the normal tap, tap, tap into rhythms of show tunes. And while the show tunes were being rapped out, 
objects such as a doll, a box of toys, or slippers perhaps would be thrown across the room. The Enfield Council did arrange for the family to take a week's vacation at Clacton-on-Sea from October 29th to November 5th. If paranormal activity happened on the vacation, it was not recorded. That's because the girls weren't there to cause problems. Well, right. Yes, I agree. The girls were not there, so obviously... Something's awry with that, right? Or maybe the entity just thought, screw you. Um, I don't want to bother you people. I want to bother the girls. So I do need to tell you Who something knows? with regard to the show tunes. Um, Chris has told me, my husband Chris has told me this story about when he was in school. They would have music class. You know how you'd go to music class for a half hour or whatever and you'd sing songs like mm-hmm. 76 trombones and frog went a court and or whatever. <laughs> One of the things you learn there. I think we ever sang frog <laughs> Whatever. Um, Erie Canal. I got a mule. Her name is Sal. Um, at any rate, um, one of the things that they had to do was clap out rhythms in his class. And there was a new student there who's like, I got this. And so he clapped this out. And that, my friends, is the theme to Hawaii Five O for your listening pleasure. I just clapped it. You're welcome. Is there anything paranormal that's going to happen with this story? No, I'm just saying. Sometimes <laughs> that you clap. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the kid was gonna like the 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 clapping that the kid did was gonna be at Chris's house at night and he was gonna be really freaked out. No, I think what the <laughs> the lesson there is that some parents in the seventies let their kids watch anything. Mm, mm. Okay, I got it. I got it now. Thank You're you. Welcome. You can edit that out if you want, but I think my it. rendition of Hawaii Five O da 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 da. There you go. Okay, I loved it. I thought okay, it was good. great. Okay, so the t- <laughs> the taping started up again on November fifth. This date is one of celebration in England. It's called Guy Fox Day, also called Bonfire Night. It is com- commemorating the failure of the gunpowder plot in sixteen o five. That's as much as I Googled. I would have gone down a rabbit hole if I had tried to do anything more. Um, they planned to blow oh up. Oh, my God. Um, of course you parliament. would know. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Um, Everybody does not know. I did not know, and I love history. They were going to blow up parliament. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go, smarty pants. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, there were the sounds of fireworks going off intermingled with the tappings. This is what they heard on the recordings. Mm-hmm. Although Mr. Gross could tell the difference between the two, it was still frustrating trying to. Oh, commun- Gorzika. <laughs> <laughs> trying to. Um, it was still frustrating trying to communicate with the tappings during all of the firework displays. Also, the spirit they were communicating with, Mrs. Haylock, changed her name to Mrs. Oakland, and the once glass ashtray that she was seeking was now made of wood. Now she wanted a wooden ashtray. I hate when that happens. But she's still looking for her luckies. Bring me my stogie. (laughs) Among the large number of objects being thrown about the house was one of relevance to Mr. Gross. This was recorded. On the night of the 5th, between 10 and 11 p.m., Gross asked the spirit if it was having a game with him. A whooshing sound was immediately heard as a box was hurled across the room at him and hit him on the head. Exclamations of shock, especially from Gross, can be heard on the recording. 
There was much activity to follow that evening with a picture being pulled off a wall behind where Gross was positioned. A pillow was thrown. The kitchen table was thrown over. The laundry basket was upturned. The kettle jumped across the kitchen and sheets were repeatedly pulled off the beds. I know, right? Well, if that wasn't, as if that wasn't enough, on the night of of November 7th, I cannot talk and I'm completely stuttering today. Well, (laughs) it was that, I shouldn't have had so much cough syrup. Um, Well, as if that wasn't enough, on the night of November 7th, the poltergeist decided to shake things up a bit. There are eyewitness accounts and photographic evidence of Janet being thrown into the air and levitating. It appeared as though Mm. she was thrown anywhere from four and a half feet to six feet in the air. Margaret, the older sister, also claimed later in the month to be pulled out of bed. It is noted that when some of these events happened, Janet looked to be asleep. Also at times, Margaret, Janet, and Billy all seemed to be dreaming simultaneously. Okay. Mrs. Hodgson was experiencing frontal headaches when the activity was about to start, and she herself experienced events ranging from hearing footsteps and feeling gusts of wind from unknown sources to the appearance and disappearance of food, as well as all the commotion that was now commonplace. While all of the Legos flying around and the food disappearing and reappearing was impressive, Mr. Gross wanted more. He wanted a written communication from the entity. Well, be careful what you wish for. Mrs. Hodgson did indeed find such a written communication. It was written on Janet's writing pad. Tell us, Andy, what did the note say? Shit, Mr. Gross from Mrs. Haylock. (laughs) (laughs) However... Mrs. Hodgson was apparently calling bullshit on this because she thought it was Janet's writing and threw it away. And I would agree with that. Janet was probably thinking, I can get away with writing a bad word right now. And I can't think it's from a ghost. Shit from Mrs. Haylock. Fuck all. Say all the bad words I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You twat. (laughs) Mr. Gross is a twat from Mrs. Haylock. Another written message was found concerning keeping Mrs. Burkham away. Janet didn't like her. Mrs. Burkham's a twat. Keep her out. Signed, Mrs. Haylock. Also, Mr. Gross believed that at times Janet was responsible for the happenings because she would ask him to leave the room and then the pillow and sheets were thrown off the bed. Huh. Suspicious? I think so. I just need you to go, uh, Mr. Gross, could you go stand over there? Over there. Just, no, no, outside the door, just a bit more. Outside. Just, just a smidge farther. Now, close, close your eyes and count to 200. 200 and ignore all the sounds coming coming from this room. Now, on November 9th, the first growling noises were recorded, which would become significant later on. On November 12th, the family was visited by some leading authorities on psychical research, Tony Cornell, Bernard Carr, and Alan Gauld. Unfortunately, they did not experience any phenomena when in the room with Janet, only when they were outside the room. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Mm, exactly. This is when the pillow reportedly jumped and Janet was lifted out of the bed and over Margaret before being dropped. Okay. <clears throat> so all of that may seem suspect, but there were some accounts that may actually have merit. I'm dying to read about this. Mm-hmm. Later on in the month, the girls and Mrs. Hodgson complained about having tickling sensations in bed. And John Burkham was pushed off of one of the beds by an unseen force on more than one occasion. Janet started having violent episodes. When she was not in one of these, it was like she was, when she was in one of these, it was like she was in a trance and she had man strength. 
And there's something to be said for man strength. There's, I mean, that's some strength. <laughs> Just saying. Mrs. Hodgson, okay. Mr. Gross, the Burkham family, and Mrs. Edwards, who was a family friend, all had trouble holding Janet down to keep her from hurting herself, and they couldn't wake her up. Apparently, Janet was convulsing and banging her head on the headboard, and she was also said to be laughing, screaming, crying, yelling, and kicking about. Gross was kicked by Janet, and she almost broke his thumb while she was flailing around in bed. However, it is important to note that Janet did display natural or normal behavior during this time, such as trying to keep her nightgown pulled down while she was moving around on the bed. So her nightgown mm. keeps coming up, and she's completely aware. She must be aware of that because she keeps trying to pull it down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but she also moaned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I'm just thinking about oh. everything you just said. Oh, got you, got you, got you. That I is you just lost. interesting. It the is tickling interesting. sensations. Something's tickling me um, <laughs> in bed. It just is, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Is it a good tickle or a bad tickle? These are things we need to know. Right. It's kind of like good touch, bad touch. Yes, exactly. Stranger danger. Okay, so Janet also moaned, tied her socks together, and sat in a Muslim praying position, rocking back and forth on her bed, which is not natural behavior. After all of this dramatic commotion, they were finally able to get Janet calmed down, and everyone was able to get some much-needed sleep. The house was fairly quiet until November 26th. On this night, the photographer Graham Morris, Mr. and Mrs. Burkham, and Mr. Gross were present. Janet became hysterical again and acted violently, showing fantastic strength. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to all that. Because all those men were present. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's all interesting. That's all I can say. I keep coming back to that word, but it is. It's very interesting, Jen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the evening of, of November 28th, several things of note happened. A brush was thrown. A settee turned over backwards. I don't know what a settee is. Like a couch. Okay. Love seat. And the refrigerator door was thrown open so violently it left a dent. And that is a daily occurrence in my house. Janet started crying and biting at Dr. Gross's jacket, and she started swearing. At one point, she yelled, You are fucking hurting me! She was thrown from her bed several times, and Mr. Gross tried to expel whatever was doing this to her. For the remainder of November, two more days, the bedtime events were just as harrowing. Margaret kept getting thrown out of bed, Various items were thrown, and Janet was either crying or screaming. I wonder if Scarlett O'Hara could have gotten her under control with one of her famous slaps. I don't know nothing about birthing no babies, Miss Scarlett. Anyway, there was also an interesting, strange conversation that happened between Janet and Margaret, who appeared, quote-unquote, to be asleep. Margaret spoke in a false sounding voice, weirdly dramatic. She said to Janet, you mustn't sling that anymore or I'll tell Mr. Gross. What was it she was supposedly slinging? We may never know. The following is from the taped happenings on the night of November 30th when the girls were conversing. For this, Jen is going to continue as Margaret, Margaret and I will be Janet. Peggy Nottingham is holding Janet down. It's dead. Um, I'm Margaret. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I was just giving you your line. (laughs) It's dead. No, it's fucking alive. The girls were shouting like a dramatic scene from a film or a TV show. Janet was crying and screaming. Billy was jumping up and down. The whole scene was chaotic. Mrs. Nottingham was still holding Janet down. It's fucking alive. All gone. I'm a witch. Their eyes are turned up. See? Interesting. 
That was the conversation they had. Well, that's just weird. (laughs) Well, now we are into December. And other than Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and New Year's Eve, there wasn't a day when Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair weren't at the Hodgson residence. A lot of things happened in December, and there was an increase in variety and quantity, and also the whistling started. The whistling, which the girls denied being able to replicate. Mm-hmm. True story. Mm-hmm. One day, Janet was alone next door when she appeared to be genuinely upset by a door opening and closing by itself. She was then thrown up the stairs. The usual happenings were still occurring, of course. The flying objects, flying bed sheets, and Janet and Margaret are still continually <laughs> getting thrown out of bed. <laughs> I just stopped laying in my bed. <laughs> uh, same. Same. Apparently, this is when the entity was showing quite a liking to Mrs. Hodgson. Oh. Oh. <laughs> You're tickling me. You're tickling me. She was recorded saying, It feels just as though there's a great big hand going like that. You pinch me. You dare pinch me. You know you really are the limit. Now you go away. It's taken a fancy to my skirt. Oh, that tickles. Then Mr. Playfair was recorded saying, My notebook jumped off the spot where I had carefully placed it, swished through the air, and landed on the floor about three feet away. This took place literally under my nose in a strong light. All of these incidents were witnessed by numerous people, including Mrs. Hodgson's ex-husband, who's there. Uh, I think he he would pay, like, um, utility bills, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Seriously, I swear we watched this on General Hospital at one point, Jen. I'm sure we did. During this time, the girls were having simultaneous dreams, conversations, or fantasies, which could become quite heated. The girls were heard yelling about dogs and shit. At times, this was pretty funny, so much so that Mr. Gross could be heard suppressing laughter in the background. When Gross left the room, Janet was then transported, levitated maybe, onto a chest of drawers in the room, and Margaret was yet again thrown out of bed. (laughs) Janet became violent, and it was hard for her parents and the others to stop her from hurting herself as she was hurling and thrashing about. Then there was the occasion that the girls talked about someone dying and ghosts. Margaret spoke in a monotonous voice in her sleep. Wilkins died on that chair downstairs. Then Gross wanted the girls to try automatic writing while they were supposedly asleep. Janet wrote about a ghost in the bedroom. It died in 1952. Transistor radio has been buried at bottom of the garden. On December 5th, several new faces showed up to help with the investigation. David Robertson, a physicist, arrived to investigate the occurrences. He was the head of physics at Birkbeck College and Hugh Pincott, a leading council member of the SPR, also showed up. While these investigators set up equipment, the girls seemed to be in a playful mood. Janet was again thrown out of bed, but while laughing this time, and the adults were told to leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) trust us just leave the room because a lot of shit happens if you leave the room sounds of a bouncing bed were recorded and further girlish laughter with janet accusing margaret of doing it the girls were also recorded saying bugger off and it's great fun here i think i would have a lot of fun too if i was a kid and could boss adults around no shit On December 6th, Janet became violent again, and Billy was upset by a dream he had experienced, and both girls were thrown out of bed. God almighty. Gross was a bit suspicious of the activity, but he consoled Janet when she was distressed at the implication that she was moving on purpose, like a gymnast. 
Dr. Ian Fletcher was a hypnotist brought by Playfair to help investigate. When she... Yeah, but... so Ian, I thought was a boy's name, but it is, it doesn't say that she's, a, it was a girl. Anyway, when she got Janet in a relaxed, hypnotized state, she accused her siblings of doing things deliberately, but she wouldn't tell her mother because she was afraid that she would get the blame. So basically Janet is blaming all this stuff on her siblings. Mm-hmm. Huh. Classic Janet. Classic Janet. When Dr. Fletcher left, the commotion started up again with the bed shaking, Janet being thrown out of bed again, and Billy crying and wailing, and persistent whistling. And Gross tried in vain to communicate with a knocking system of his own. (laughs) On December 10th, a growling voice was heard near Janet and was recorded. This, This could be the start of the voice or voices becoming an integral and dramatic part of the investigation. As if the screaming and leaping out of bed weren't enough, Janet started barking like a dog on the rig. Andy, could this be the first recorded evidence of a furry? I don't know, Jen, but that's a whole different show. So we're just going (laughs) to let that set right there. Okay. But the barking intrigued Gross, and he asked for his name to be barked out, and a number of barking sounds and names (laughs) followed. Okay. (laughs) Shit just got real. Right? Margaret said these names came from under the bed. The names included Joe and Gross's name, accompanied with woof, woof, fuck off, shit, and one or more girls laughing. Gross attempted to communicate with the voice to no avail, and he was also unsuccessful at his attempts to explore that incessant whistling. So as if there weren't enough people involved in this investigation, a few more people decided to join the party. John Beloff, professor of psychology at Edinburgh University, and Anita Gregory, an experienced SPR member. The voice was now using different names, such as Charlie and Joe. Gregory asked several questions of the voice, but the replies were either abusive or of a growling, rasping, barking nature. Are you enjoying yourself? Yes, very much. Mr. Gross thought he might be more successful, but the replies to his questions were strange or non-existent. I'm Bill Wilkerson. I lived in the house and was married with three children. (laughs) How old are you, Mr. Wilkinson? No answer. Can you tell us the names of your children? No answer. What do you do? Steal money from the shop. My dog is here. We call him Gooba the Ghost. Uh, uh, oh, oh, and I'm 72, and my kids are 16 and 18. Why do you keep pulling the girls out of the bed? I want Janet out of that bed. <laughs> I can't do that in Brazil. I want Janet out of that bed. This is my house, and I like having it. This is my house, and I like having it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want Margaret out of her bed, too? Fuck off, twat. What kind of music do you like, Mr. Wilkerson? Jazz, perhaps? Scarlet Fever. (laughs) After this session, there's a lot of singing to show tunes. Mr. Gross and Playfair were trying to get the voice and Janet to sing simultaneously. This never happened. After the American Bandstand show tune session, the voice mentioned it had... 58 dogs protect me. It also states, I'm Bill Haylock, and I didn't die. Finally, 
the voice requests that Gross and Playfair stay outside to keep all the germs out. (laughs) Once again, you adults stay out there. Well, 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 we should probably, before we go, let's legit or bullshit one more time. Oh, there's so much bullshit here that it is stinking up my house. Yeah, Um, there is. There's a lot of bullshit here for sure. A lot. There's, there's probably a skosh, a trace of legitimacy, like maybe one thing weird that happened, like a weird noise. Like, you know what? I would liken it to the experiences you and I had. Yeah, which for sure. Never, never scared us. The TV knocked over, a cup flying off a counter mm-hmm. once in a great while. Um, We never called in the SPR. We just uh, went about our business or the police. Right. And there wasn't a lot that went on. We didn't. We didn't fabricate anything. We didn't really tell anybody about anything. It was not something that disrupted our lives in a right. serious way. So I'm guessing there were maybe like those tiny, tiny little things that happened. Little nuggets. Mm-hmm. Other than that, bullshit. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that there's <clears throat> there's no validity or reliability to anything. You can't you can't have it if you keep getting told to leave the room, and then that's when the things happen. Obviously, there's no. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not valid research right there. I just can't. Yeah, I can't get into that. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is as good a place as any to stop for today. We'll be back in the next couple of weeks with another episode of the Enfield Poltergeist. We want to thank you all for listening. Please get in touch with us anytime. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at Pod at gmail.com. You make every episode a pleasure. Until next time, remember Ichabod loves you. Carry a flashlight and always bring extra bands.